Thank you so much for joining us today for Optimistic Opportunities. I am beyond myself. And I am myself because my good friend, Wicked Davidson, who I've known for 30 years, always challenges me to be myself and be my true self because that is the essence of me that is best. So I thank you always for that reminder, Wicca. Um, we are in season two in episode five, and we have a sponsor who is actually my real estate company, Carl Johnson Real Estate, a Coldwell Banker HPW. We don't just market your property. Um, we don't just list your property for sale. We market your property. Uh, we also have a concierge service for buyers, and we have trusted re realtors throughout the nation um, that we partner with so that we can actually provide you with a referral anywhere in the United States. So that's enough from our sponsor, all the way back to Wicca. Wicca, thank you for joining us all the way from DC today. My pleasure, Carl. I'll, I'll, I'll always do what you ask me to do. Um, as I was saying, Wicca, you are such an important person to me in my life, where you have always challenged me to be myself and be my true self and to present that. So I thank you again for that reminder today. Um, we are diving into Wicca's story of struggles and strength. And that story today is about child abuse. So I'll just turn it right over to you to um, start with your story, Wicca. All right. So yes, it's about abuse. And I, I was the child. I, I am not going to tell you a story about me abusing any other children. <laughs> I'm going to oh, tell you my story. Um, I left home at the age of 15 because I was psychologically, emotionally, physically, and sexually abused by my father. Um, my father had also been an abused child, and this is something that generally passes on from generation to generation. Um, I ran away from home. I was in high school. And um, my next door neighbor and one of my high school teachers helped me run away from home. I think that actually the fact that a high school teacher helped me run away from home is pretty damn unusual. Um, yes. Definitely. The principal of high school actually also when I came when I was brought back, let me graduate, even though I had missed a year and a half of high school. So I've been helped a lot by those people. Um, the thing about my abuse um, is that I knew that I was terrified of my father and I knew to try and make it so nothing bad would happen, but I really didn't remember all of the details. I just knew that I was, I just knew I was really afraid of him. Um, I learned, I mean, I knew the physical, some of the physical stuff I knew. I remembered the time he emptied a bunch of drawers, uh, out of a dresser and threw them all on, on top of me and then told me to clean up the mess and went out of the door and slammed the door. I know that he hit me. Um, I didn't remember all the details of it. Um, so when I left home, I then, you know, I was a hippie and I wandered around and I did all kinds of stuff and I got married. I got married to a man who was not all that interested in me sexually. Um, I think which is fairly common for people who have been abused as a child. Um, but I didn't realize that at the time. Um, one of the things that happened was 
um, I went back to, so, so we, I grew up in Montreal. My family moved to North Carolina towards the, my end of my being in the seventh grade. And we moved to North Carolina because my mother thought if my father was not near his parents, that he think that things would be better for him and for us, um, which didn't actually happen. But I did get to meet a lot of really great people in North Carolina, um, including Carl. Um, I went back to, to Montreal for the first time as an adult with my husband because for some unknown reason, the American Psychiatric Association was having its annual convention in Canada, which I'd never really understood, but it gave me a chance to go back to Montreal for the first time without my family, without my parents. Um, the Montreal Jewish community is fairly close. Um, and so I had scheduled visits with all of the families that my parents were friends with. There were five families who all had kids who were my age or my little sister's age. And the first night we went to the ship's house, Don and I, and we had a lovely dinner and I got to see Martin and Heidi and Annabelle Ship, who were my friends. And then Harold and Nancy Ship, the parents said to me, Wicca, can we, can we talk to you? I said, sure. They said, I mean, can we talk to you in another room? I said, okay. So we went into another room and they said that they wanted to apologize to me that they had not stopped my father from abusing me. And I was stunned. I had no clue that that was gonna happen. So I asked them what they had seen. And so they told me what they had seen and then they said, you know, we didn't know what to do. It was the 1950s. Your parents, your father comes from a wealthy Montreal family. And there's a myth that this doesn't happen in Jewish families. And there weren't, there wasn't the awareness of abuse in the 50s that there is now, say. So um, we were there. We talked for a while. They told me what they had seen. They hugged me, we left, we went back to the hotel room. I lay on the bed in a stupor, trying to figure out what the heck had happened. The next night we went to the Cohen's house and exactly the same thing happened. I got to see, um, I got to see Benita Cohen, who was my friend, and then Mita and Norman Cohen said, could we talk to you? And I said, sure. And we went into another room and they said, we want to apologize to you. And I said, have you talked to the ships about this? I mean. Have all of my parents' friends talked to each other about talking to me when I come up? And they said, no, we've never talked about this to anybody. So they proceeded to then tell me everything that they had seen. This happened at five families. Every, every person that I went to see who I had grown up with the kids and they were my parents' friends told me what they had seen and apologized to me. That's amazing. It was astonishing. What a story. Yeah. It, was, it was both incredibly helpful and amazingly sad. Yeah. Um, but I, I wasn't mad at any of them. I understood. I mean, it, abuse is not something that people like to talk about. And we don't talk about it a lot now. And there is some sort of a myth that, you know, upper class or wealthy Jewish families that, you know, they don't do this, but you know they're like any other family. They they do what they do. Um, after that happened, there was a day where I was 
I was working as a nurse at that time. And I went into the light. I was back. Of course, I'm at this point, we're back in Chapel Hill. I'm working as a nurse. I go into the public library, that little library that used to be on Franklin Street. And my mother and father are there. My father's in one part of the library and my mother's in the other part. I mean, this, this library is pretty small. So I talked to my mom and she said, how are you? And I said, I had a horrible day. Somebody died. Um, I had to call every single doctor to get new orders for all of the patients because I went over the time period that you got, you're allowed to give meds. And all I really want to do is go home and take a bath. And my mother said to me, when you were a little girl and your father had beaten you, the only thing that calmed you down was when I put you in a warm bathtub, yeah. you know, warm water in a bathtub. And that, that was my sole conversation with my mother about being an abused child was that. Um, Carl, where do I go next? And then did you have a conversation with your father also after you had learned about all of this in Montreal? Um, you had an interaction with him, I think. Not immediately afterwards, but yes. Um, I had two times where we talked about it. Uh, the first time was before my daughter was around and we were having a family, our annual family Hanukkah gathering, which at this time I think was in, was at my older sister's house. My older sister was adopted when she was a teenager. So she was not around in Montreal. She was, she's a North Carolina girl. Um, so we, we were at her house and my father started um, being incredibly nasty and abusive verbally to my, to my younger sister. And I stood up and said to him, you have to stop this. It's completely inappropriate. It's abusive. She doesn't deserve it. And she has not done anything. And if you ever act like this again in front of me, I will leave and you will never see me again. You can imagine how happy everybody was in the room. It was like, a dead silent. Everybody in the room is just staying there. Their eyes are like gigantic. Like, like what are we going to do now? Let's have a latka, right? Right. So, um, he stopped. Um, everybody came around and gave me hugs and pats and kisses. And my father sat in a chair and was very silent. Um, and it's the first time I had spoken out in front of my family. I had spent most of my childhood saving my sister, my little sister, putting her out, keeping her out of harm's way as much as I possibly could. It, it wasn't completely able to, do, I wasn't completely able to do it, but the reason I stayed at home until I was 15 was because of her. I didn't want her hurt and I didn't want her to be beaten or molested. So, um, so flash forward after Hanukkah, a couple of years, two or three years, um, I have a daughter who was a very active child and we were visiting my parents and, um, we were sitting in the living room and she was sitting on the floor and my parents had this big stack of New Yorker magazines on the table. And my daughter was very carefully picking up magazine by magazine and making a stack on the floor and then picking them back up and making a stack on the table and then taking them off again. And for some unknown reason, this really irritated my father. And he came over to my daughter um, 
and he had his hand in with his knuckles. I don't know what you call this when you, you know you have this pointy knuckle, and he started right. he started hitting her on the head with his knuckle, and I picked her up, and I said, "You don't ever touch her again. You may not ever touch her again. You may never hurt her again." And you may never be alone with her. And we left. So I had those two experiences. And then I had um, an experience um, at synagogue up here in DC. And do we have time for that story? Yeah, so, so I hear that we've actually moved into the strength part of the story. <laughs> where you have become the protective parent, the protective yeah. sister. You've protected your daughter, protected your sister. And I hear that's that's the strength part of the story. So the this last part of the story about the synagogue is another strength story th that I think is also very interesting. So please carry on with that one. All right, so um, there, there was, there is a man who was a rabbi not at my synagogue, but at a different synagogue, who got trapped in a network TV show sting where people from this show would call up people and try and entice them to come to where they thought they were going to see a 14-year-old um, and be able to have sex with them. So he thought he was talking, the rabbi thought he was talking to a 14-year-old boy and when he got to the house, there were TV cameras there and he was exposed, and I don't mean physically exposed, but he was exposed to the world or to the United States as a pedophile. Um, and he went to prison for five years. He, his wife left him, uh, he lost his job and he came out of prison and he was looking for a place to pray. You know, Jews pray, we pray in community and our prayers mean more when we say them surrounded by other Jews. And so he came to our synagogue, which is the Reconstructionist synagogue, which is a sort of liberal progressive synagogue. It's not sort of, it exactly is a liberal progressive synagogue. It's who says that we will allow anyone to worship with us. And he went to the board of the synagogue and said, I need a place to worship. And you say, anyone can worship here. Can I worship here? Here's and they worked out an arrangement that he could indeed come to services. He was met at the door by two people who knew him. He sat between them. If he had to go to the bathroom, they went with him. If he, you know, and then he was escorted out of the building. He was never alone and he was able to pray. And then it got leaked out into the community that he was there and that we were allowing him to pray at the synagogue. Um, and there, this huge brouhaha came out where all of these people said, we have children here, we don't want him here. And all the other people were saying, well, you know, he's not alone. He's not being, you know, he can't hurt anybody here. And they, and it became such a stink that he himself said, I don't want to cause your community to be in this much uproar and I will leave and go find somewhere else to pray, which I hope he did. And then because what Reconstructionist Jews do is when you read, get to certain Torah portions that has you talking about certain issues, we talk about how they were important in the past and we talk about how they're important in the present. And so 
the conversation the one week, a couple of weeks later was about what is appropriate, whether he should have been there or not, whether we should have allowed him to pray there. And I stood up and said, something you don't know about me is that I was an abused child. I was abused by my father. Um, and I explained, I gave them the gist of what I've said today. And I said, you know, the one person that the children of your children, that the synagogue's children are safest from is this man. This man. You've frozen for a moment here. We can't hear you, Wicca. Okay, we, you're frozen, your internet connection. I think your internet connection just came back. So yeah, you my, said I don't know what happened. person. Sorry. There you go. So I basically, the person that you're safest from is this person. Right. And I said what, what, what your children are not safe from are for those of us who are members of the synagogue who are abusing their children. Because all families, this happens in every community and every type of religion. And it infuriates me that you're not letting the one person who has atoned for his sin and who is never alone and will never be near your children. And you're not addressing the larger issue of who is abusing their children in this, in this synagogue. It's never talked about who does it, who is it? Um, and at that point, a lot of people in the synagogue started to, I mean, I don't mean at that minute, but over the next month or so, people left the synagogue. Some left because, because they agreed with me and some left because they didn't like how it was handled and some left because they didn't like that it was handled because he was allowed to be there. Um, but one thing that did happen was that in the stalls of every bathroom, I'm assuming in the men's rooms, but I didn't actually go in the men's room, but, I, but in the women's room in every stall, there was a sign that said, if you are being abused, if you are a victim of a domestic abuse, if you're being abused by a parent or a teacher, here's who to talk to. Um, um, so I learned to speak out about it. I've never had a whole lot of trouble speaking out about anything, but you don't walk around usually in synagogue saying, hey, I was an abused kid, how about you? <laughs> so, right. um, I, I learned I learned that it's important to speak out about these things, even if it's uncomfortable. I mean, this is not, I'm not uncomfortable with Carl and I would do anything for him. Um, and he had some good juicy topics that he could have chosen from, <laughs> for about this, you know, for strength and, and resil and resi resilience, but this is resiliency. Where, this yeah. is where we decided to go. Um, right. So well, I think that's exactly you know your story just flew, just flowed so beautifully from the struggle to the strength, which I find so fascinating that you know it's it's such a natural thing for the way that you just. You know, told your story, you naturally ending up with the strengths of, you know, where you are today from where you were as a child and 
and how you have become, you know, this person that that helps other people sure. in in these types of struggles. So yeah. and that's. I'm sorry, go ahead. I'm interrupting you, but I realize there's one other thing that I've been doing and I've done ever since then is oh, okay. I, I make a buyer's or a seller's guides. For, for oh, yeah. I'm also a real estate agent. I've been a real estate agent for 25 years. Um, the world's funkiest real estate agent. But I make I used to print buyer and seller guides to hand out to people because it was before emails. And But the last page of every buyer's guide, whether I email it or print it, has a list of resources for where to get help if you're being an abused by anybody. And I have it as the last page in every every book that I send out. That's awesome. I that that's that's your story of strength out of your story of struggle is, is helping people. Um, so thank you, Wicca, so much you're welcome for telling that story. Really appreciate you being vulnerable with us today and and sharing your resiliency out of this story. Well, there are not many so, people I would do this with, but you are one. Well, I really appreciate that. And I hope that this has been helpful for the people that are listening in in the um, in the information about this episode. There is a website that you can go to and get information if you are experiencing abuse or know somebody that's experiencing abuse and they can help you with that. Yeah. Um, you can also, so, you can also contact me and I will send you links to whatever you need. Great. Okay. I'll go ahead and get some of those links from you as well. Wickedavidson.com. And um, so that's, that's the end of our episode today. And Really appreciate everybody joining us. Sorry, it was a little bit long today, but this no. is such a meaty topic to chew on for a little while. Um, I don't think that I don't <laughs> think that's a problem at all. So we scared, we scared uh, the camera. You scared everybody away. We scared so, um, the camera. Yeah. Yeah. But um, but then and again, another quick little word from our sponsor, my my real estate company, Carl Johnson Real Estate at Coldwell Banker HBW. You can find out more information about my company at carljohnsonrealestate.com and that's carljohnsonrealestate.com. You can see more episodes of Optimistic Opportunities on that website and go to Wicca's page and see um, see her bio. Uh, it's a fascinating bio. I highly recommend <laughs> that you go read it. So that's all we have for today. Wicca, hang out with me for just a few minutes after this because yeah. um, we can chat some more. But we'll just say goodbye to everybody. So... Um, Please remember to help one another is what I always like to end up with saying. So y'all take care. Bye-bye.